If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walker. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Let us pray together. We know what Ecclesiastes says, Holy One, there is nothing new under the sun. But the headlines seem pretty new. This hasn't happened before. No former president of the United States has ever been indicted on criminal charges. For more than two centuries, presidents have been immune from prosecution while in office and effectively even afterward. Until now. But maybe Ecclesiastes isn't talking about the particulars. Perhaps what isn't new is that people have always tried to get away with it. Perhaps what isn't new is that people have always tried to silence each other. Perhaps what isn't new is that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But before we think this is about someone else, maybe what isn't new is that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Maybe what isn't new is our need to be reminded that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Maybe what isn't new is our need to be reminded that we are to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly, not in exchange for prosperity now or for a mansion over the hilltop later, but just because. Help us to pay attention to what matters, Holy One. And perhaps if all of us tend more to prayer and confession, repentance and repair, the headlines will take care of themselves. With tender hearts we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses one through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go ahead into the village, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. 
Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this. The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he reached Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Palm Sunday is one of the most stressful Sundays of the entire year for pastors. It is not because it is the final Sunday of Lent. It is not because there are several additional services this week, each requiring as much energy and focus as a typical Sunday. It is not because we are already a little anxious about next Sunday, Easter, when there's a lot of pressure to stick the landing. <laughs> none of that, none of that is why we are on high alert today. It's the, it's the palms, the leafy branches or whatever you want to call them. What a nightmare. I am aware that I have ranted about this before. This expectation that on Palm Sunday we have the kids march around the sanctuary doing a reenactment of sorts of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But I am the Palm Sunday Grinch, so we don't. Like seriously, it is as if someone asked, what activity can we do in worship that will 100% result in someone getting hit in the face? That, that, giving children sticks and telling them to wave them around. It is not cute. Thankfully, we don't have to do palms every year. It's not like this every year. Year C of the lectionary lets us read from the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's version, no one is at risk of getting stabbed in the eyeball. Luke includes zero details about palm branches. They are just not included at all. It will not offend me if you snatch that pew Bible right out and look it up. If this is the first time you've noticed that Luke doesn't have any palm branches, you shouldn't feel bad. Each gospel tells the story differently, even the stories that they all tell. Remember the story of Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke, not the same at all. So Luke doesn't record the crowd waving palms or branches, even though Matthew, which we heard, Mark and John include that detail. All four of the gospels, however, do agree that there was a procession and it's usually titled Jesus' Triumphal Entry into Jerusalem. There were, however, two processions that day. One was the parade we read about, and the other 
we learn from socio-historical context. As theologians Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg describe, one procession was a peasant procession and the other was an imperial procession. From the east, Jesus rode in on a donkey from the Mount of Olives, cheered by his followers. And on the opposite side of the city, from the west, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, entered Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry and soldiers. Jesus' procession proclaimed the kingdom of God. Pilate's procession proclaimed the power of empire. And the two processions embody the central conflict of this holy week that led to Jesus' crucifixion. If Pilate's procession embodied the power and glory and violence of empire that ruled the world, then Jesus' procession embodied an alternate, alternative vision, the kingdom of God. It must not, however, have seemed much of a competition we can imagine the imperial procession's arrival in the city with cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold. We can hear the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, and the beating of drums. And then we have Jesus and his procession clippity-clomping into town on a donkey. There is symbolism here, of course, loads of symbolism. For the gospel writers help Jesus fulfill prophecy by leaning heavily on the prophet Zechariah, specifically in chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east. Jesus does just that, riding in on a donkey. According to Zechariah, a king would be coming, humble and riding on a colt. This king, the text says, riding on a donkey, will banish war from the land. No more chariots, war horses, or bows and arrows, no more swords. Commanding peace to the nations, he will be a king of peace. In ancient Palestine, the donkey was actually considered to be noble, not despised, and really not even that humble, but you get the picture. And for most people in that time, the donkey was a symbol of peace. In war, kings rode horses, but not in peacetime. So entering the capital city astride the colt of a donkey signaled humility, yes, but above all, peace. Jesus came in peace for peace. And many, many people for, were ready for this peace. They needed this peace. They wanted this peace, hence the crowds that met him. The ones who, in the Gospel of Matthew, took off their cloaks and laid them out as a red carpet for Jesus to enter. And if they didn't have a cloak, they cut branches from the trees to spread before him anything to acknowledge this deep, deep desire for something other than oppression and violence. The text tells us they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And we hear it, we hear it as praise, as if it is a synonym for hallelujah, an utterance of worship, adoration, celebration. And that is not 
entirely wrong. We find this phrase, Hosanna, in Psalm 118, which includes the line that we've turned into the hymn. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. And we often choose that hymn to open worship, to set the tone. Theologian James May explains that Historically speaking, Psalms 118 is the concluding psalm in a group known as the Egyptian Halal, customarily used at joyous annual festivals and especially in observance of the Passover meal. The cycle begins with Psalm 113 and its praise of, of God who reverses the fixed arrangements of human affairs by lifting up the lowly. And then Psalm 114 tells the story of the Exodus as a manifestation of God's help. And then 115 continues praise of God, and 116 thanks God for deliverance from death, and Psalm 118 calls on the nations to praise God. Every one of the first five psalms in the cycle anticipates Psalm 118, which then offers thanks and praise for the steadfast love of God and deliverance from death. And when we use it on Palm Sunday, we use it in the same way, as if the procession were exclusively a happy parade, a celebration. But to do so forgets its context, which is so important to remember what's really going on. We remember that other parade on the other side of the city, the one for Rome and its power. If everything had been fine, there would be no need for that Jesus parade. If, everything, if everyone had had what they needed, there would be no desire for different leadership. If people and land were at peace, they would not be crying out, Hosanna, for this is actually not a happy utterance. Things were not fine. People did not have what they needed. There was no peace. Hosanna is the Greek transliteration of a Hebrew imperative phrase meaning save now. That's what they were yelling that day so long ago. Save us. Save us, son of David, from oppression, from poverty, from want and need. Save us from legalism and violence. We do not have our daily bread. Save us, save us, save us. This is what Hosanna means. Save us. It is a crying out, a call for help, an emergency flare, a mayday distress signal. Save us. So it is not hard then to see the irony of how we have tried to keep this scene light, make it an easy prayer for our children instead of a prayer for deliverance. Irony indeed, given that our children are crying out, save us, as gunfire rings out in the elementary school hallways and in their high school classrooms, save us. Save us as public money, resources, and teachers are siphoned away from their classrooms. Because as our governor believes, while rich people don't need vouchers, millionaires should get them as a matter of principle. 
save us. Save us, our children cry, as we keep our heads down about climate change while sea levels rise and glaciers melt, along with historic heat waves and relentless flooding and a tornado season that starts in February. Their inheritance is supposed to be polar bears and rainforests. Save us, save us, they cry. It's not just the children, of course, as we imagine who else might be, have been along that route crying, save us. It would include every transgender beloved targeted by more than 650 anti-queer legislation filed this year. We can imagine the street lined with immigrants and refugees hoping the United States will turn the porch light back on. We can imagine black boys and black men lining the route. Save us, save us from overrepresentation in after-school detentions, which turn into overrepresentation in arrests, which turn into overrepresentation in prison sentences. Save us from a penal system that is doing exactly what it was designed to do. Hosanna, save us. And this is what Jesus heard as he entered the city. And Jesus, seeing their tears and their struggle, turned around and muttered, thoughts and prayers and then went off to find a hotel for the week. That is not what Jesus did. If we were to keep reading into verse 12, we would discover that Jesus' next stop was the temple, a place of power and corruption at the time. But instead of wringing his hands, Jesus flipped the tables of injustice unseated oppressors, disrupted business as usual. Note that he did not march off to Rome to confront Caesar. Jesus tended the part of the garden he could touch. He went to the place where he could make a difference and he did what he could, where he was, with what he had. This too is instruction for us friends to do what we can, where we are, with what we have, to go on the record to say that it does not have to be this way, that it should not be this way. So we have got to do something, anything, church, to respond to the Hosanna, save us, Hosanna, save us, that we hear in real life. Write an email, make a call, volunteer where trans kids are getting support, invest in black businesses, work to unseat those who are in office for themselves by electing people who are attentive to the common good. Let the authorities know that we will not stand by, that the status quo is not working. This is not a story of us kicking rocks on the sidelines, church, just watching Jesus go do his thing, that's because his thing is our thing. During this last week of Lent, let us be found in lockstep with Jesus, walking towards the fray 
turning our thoughts and prayers into policy and change, doing what we can, where we are, with what we have. Our children are counting on us to take this story seriously. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.